All right. Hey, um, sorry, I brought a lot of stuff up here, so I need to get set up real quick. But thank you for being here today. Obviously, Pastor Al is on vacation, so Garen, Forsyth, and I are going to fill the next two Sundays. And when Pastor Al let us know that we were the ones that are going to be preaching, I was like, man, Garen, we got to like collaborate on this thing. We got to do something together. And so we got together to talk about what we would teach on. And over lunch, we just both voiced our hearts for people to love the Word of God and how important it is for us for people to study the Word and have it be a part of their lives that's real and not just something we do once or twice a week. So we're going to embark on a two-week study. They're going to have a lot to do with each other. This is kind of part one, and he's going to be part two next week. We're going to talk about getting into the Word. Garen is going to do a lot of equipping. He's going to give you tools to dig into the Word. And what I hope to do today is... um, kind of the easy job. Garen's got the hard job. I'm just the leadoff guy. I get on base, and he's the cleanup guy. He, he hits the home run. So my job's easy today. We're just going to go over why it is important to study the Word. Um, and I know in our minds, it's like, of course we should do that, but we're going to lay down some real reasons why it's important to do that. And at the end, I will go over some pretty service-level tools and ways we can get into the, the text. And at the end, you're going to have um, some participation. So hopefully you're all feeling very participatory today, and you're going to have a little sheet to take home as well. So let's see if I can conquer technology. Yes. Here we go. I'm in. Okay, so why should we study the Word of God? It seems like a simple question. I'm in youth ministry. I'm the youth pastor here, and I work in bullet points because that is what students pay attention to is bullet points. So we're going to have some bullet points today. So we're just going to go through a few points of why this is important to us and then once again hopefully equip you just a little bit at the end. So point number one of why we need to be studying the word is because you have more than just physical needs. Okay, There is a lot more to you as a person than what you can see physically. There's a quote um, that is attributed to C.S. Lewis. It's you do not have a soul, you are a soul and you have a body. And the truth is I did a little research and this actually doesn't really come from C.S. Lewis, but a lot of people give him credit for it. But whether it comes from C.S. or not, it has a lot of validity in our lives because it gives us a really healthy perspective on who we really are as people, right? It reminds us that one day all of us are going to die and when that happens, our earthly bodies stay here, but the part of us that is eternal, our spirit, it goes on, right? There is more to you than just your physical body. It makes you realize that, that there's a lot more to this world than what we can just see. And, and even though that's true, we pay so much attention to our physical needs. You guys ever notice that? Like we pay so much attention to the physical and not to the spiritual. Like when you're, for instance, on a run, right? And you're running, at least when I'm running, I'm trying to first of all think about how fast I'm breathing, but then also like how thirsty I am, right? Like your physical needs are just there. Or if you miss a meal and you're hungry, right? If you ever miss a meal and you're hungry, for me at least, it's impossible to focus on anything until I come raid the kitchen in, here at the church in my, from my office and just eat because I'm so hungry. I can't focus on anything. Like, it's, it's at the forefront of my mind. Or if you, like, stayed up late the night before or you missed your nap and you're really tired, like, it's hard not to focus on how physically tired you are, right? All these physical needs are so prevalent in our minds It's so hard to get past our physicality sometimes. And I wish that my spiritual needs were that prevalent in my mind. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I wished 
that my hunger for God was that natural to me. I wish that my desire to be in his word was that natural to me. But the truth is that my physical needs often push those things out. If it's late and I'm tired, I don't read. Or if I'm hungry and I'm grouchy, I, I don't think about God as much as I should, right? My physical, it, it pushes the spiritual out of the way. In Matthew 4, 1 through 4, Jesus does a great job of putting the physical in its place. He does a great job of putting spiritual over physical. And, and Jesus is in the desert. He hasn't eaten for 40 days, which in itself is pretty amazing. And he has an interaction with the devil here. So Matthew 4, 1 through 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, then tell those stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus had his priorities in order. He said, yeah, I'm hungry, but there is something so much more important, right? There is a spiritual element here that is more important than the physical. Um, there's another part in, in another gospel, in, in John 4, where Jesus meets a woman, and this same kind of thing comes up. He, he meets her, and if you're not familiar with the story, he goes to this well in the middle of the day where there should be nobody at a well, at that time, and he sees this woman, and he instantly knows everything about her, right? He knows that she has a wrecked life, right? She's had more than just a few failed marriages. He, he knows that she isn't really accepted in her social circles, right? That's why she's here alone, is because she doesn't really have any friends. He knows that she's living with someone who's not even her husband right now, and, and she's probably being kind of shunned in her, her circles for that, right? He knows everything about her, and he knows that she has deep needs in her life, Right? Just like all of us. She has deep needs and she's trying to fill those deep spiritual needs up with physical things. Right? Like she has a need to be loved. She has a need to be accepted. She has a need to be forgiven for things that on a deep level she knows she's done wrong. But she keeps going to physical things and it's never really taken care of. And then Jesus hits her with this line. He says, and if you've been in church you know it. He says, you drink water from this well and you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I have you'll never be thirsty again. And what he's saying is, hey, you have these spiritual needs in your life. You have these spiritual holes in your boat. And if you keep trying to fill them up with physical things, you're gonna be at it your whole life. And it was true for her thousands of years ago, and it's true for us today. If, if you don't realize that you have deep spiritual needs and, and you just keep trying to fill it with a job or with a paycheck or with a public opinion of yourself or whatever, it's never gonna work. It's gonna be a long an unfruitful life for you. So Jesus hits her with that line, and her response to this is so important. Her response is so key because it says that she drops her jug and she runs into town to tell everyone about her inter interaction with Jesus. And this is so huge because she drops her jug. The symbolism is so key here. This jug is, is her source of sustenance, her source of physical sustenance, right? She can't get by without this, and yet she drops it because she knows she's found something better. She knows that finally her spiritual needs are being taken care of, right? That whole day, it, it changed her entire life. She realized that there is no physical thing in this life that can satisfy you spiritually, right? And if we were being honest with ourselves, we would say, yeah, there's nothing physical in this life for me that can satisfy me spiritually. Now, as mankind, we have gotten close to creating something, and if you've ever been to Texas Roadhouse, you know their roles. Man, they bring you close to the Lord. They do, but they don't quite do it for you because there's nothing physical 
that can fill those holes in your life. There are some things that we can only get from God and we can only get from studying the word. One of those is perfect love, right? No matter how much you love somebody in this life, that love will never be perfect. It will never be truly unconditional, right? Another thing is total forgiveness. We, we say we forgive each other. We ask for forgiveness from others, but we can't give it or receive it the way uh, that Jesus does, right? Total freedom from your past. That is so, I was having a conversation with a student this week, and we were like, is it harder for you to understand that you have just total forgiveness or um, to totally forgive someone else, right? And it's like, for me, it was like, just understanding that I'm totally forgiven from my whole past. As humans, we want to hold on to that so much, but God, he says, nope, it's not yours anymore, it's mine. The last one is, is complete identity, right? Finding total acceptance, total purpose in something. Your life has meaning, right? God has called you into his family. He has a place for you in his kingdom. That is incredible. And once again, these are things that we encounter when we acknowledge they have no physical source, right? These things on the screen, they have no physical source here on earth. The only source is found when we study the word of God and when we study it well. So that's number one. Number two, moving on, is the reason we need to study the word is that you don't do what you know, you do what you love. Let me explain this to you. Uh, you know that salad's good for you, right? You know salad's good for you, but you love cheeseburgers. You love cheeseburgers. You really love Jay's cheeseburgers with extra pickles. Those are your favorites for me. But you love cheeseburgers. So why is it that when you go to a restaurant, you order a cheeseburger? Why wouldn't you order a salad? You know it's better for you. You know in the long run it's going to benefit you more, right? You order the cheeseburger because you love the cheeseburger and you do what you love. Let me, let me say something and hopefully it lands here. Because you do these things because there is a very weak correlation between knowledge of the right thing and execution of the right thing. Okay, let me say that again. There is a weak correlation between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. They have very little to do with each other, right? Just because you know the right thing to do does not in any way, shape, or form mean that you will do that thing, right? I think we could all agree with that. Or we'd all be perfect because we know the right thing for the most part. I have an adorable illustration for this one. This is, this is uh, the best part of the message, so it doesn't get better than this right here. This is my daughter Maggie. She's two, and she is beginning to form opinions of her own and feel very independent about the way that she acts, as misplaced as that is. So we were having dinner last week, and Mags um, is in this habit of throwing her cup for some reason. I don't know what that does for two-year-olds, but they love to do it. So we're at the dinner table, and Maggie just throws her cup right across the room. So I go, I get the cup, I put it on the table, I grab her little cheeks, and I say, Mags, do not throw your cup, right? And she looks at me, and she goes, no throw cup, right? I say, okay, good. Don't throw your cup. She says, no throw cup. I said, good, we're on the same page. So I go, I sit down, and like a minute later, she throws the cup again, right? I'm like, you know. You know you're going to get spanked. You know this is wrong. Like, why would you do this? It's because knowing the right thing doesn't mean anything. There is a stronger correlation between love and action, right? There is a much stronger correlation between love and action, meaning you will do what you love, not what you know, right? If, if you are in love with someone, you want to be around them, you want to do things for them. I remember when I first started dating Katie, she didn't know that I was in love with her yet, because if you say that on the first 
you know, week of your relationship, it's over, right? So I had to keep that inside, bottle it, shove it back down. But I was crazy about her, and I would text her, and I would, like, try and wait for her on campus, different places, like she was getting out of basketball practice or from class. She was probably like, why is this guy stalking me? This is kind of creepy. But I just wanted to be around her, right? I was in love. My love motivated me to that action. If you hear a song that you love, right, it's just natural to want to sing it. Like last night, the youth group went to see the Royals, and we came back, and it's like a two-hour ride, so we're listening to music, and one student in the car was very adamant that no one sung the songs they just wanted to hear, (laughs) and on the speakers, like, no one could sing it. And we were like, okay, well, you know, we'll do this for you. But I found myself still, like, singing it because I love that song. Like, I couldn't help it. You are motivated by love to sing that song. If you, if you love a movie, like you're flipping through the channels and you see a movie that you love, like, oh, I have to stop and watch this. I don't care if it's 11.45. Like, I have to finish this movie. You're motivated by love to do those things, right? By the way, in my opinion, the definitive top three movies of all time. Number three, Shawshank Redemption. Number two, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a little throwback. That's a good one. No one's going to track on that one. But the first one, being a 90s kid, Toy Story, of course, the best movie. It's not even a contest. It's not even a contest. Not even. Okay, but my point here, and I hope you're tracking with this, is that love motivates us to action. And since it is love that motivates us to action, we must train ourselves to love the Word of God, right? We have to train our hearts to love the Word of God. It's not enough to just read it. It's not enough to just read the Bible and know what it says and say, okay, that's good information, thank you. No, it's got to be in your heart because that's where action happens. That's where change happens, right? That's where living it out happens is when we love the Word of God. And you can be trained to love something. I am living proof of that, okay? I was born in western Kansas and my whole life I've been a Dodger fan, and there's no reason that should happen, right? That doesn't just naturally happen unless someone is indoctrinating you into the Dodger culture, right? So when I was little, I would, my dad would watch the Dodgers with me. We would talk about them at the dinner table. We'd talk about Eric Karros and Oil Hershiser and Raul Mondesi and, and Mike Piazza, all my favorite players, because we talked about it, right? It was our culture. It was who we are. I was trained to love the Dodgers. It wasn't natural, and I'm really regretting it because we haven't done anything for 30 years. I'm not even 30 yet, so I've never even seen us do anything worthwhile, but if you want to add that to uh, your prayer list this week, maybe. That'd be all right. (laughs) So I was trained to love those teams, and you can be trained to love the Word of God. Absolutely you can. So how do we train ourselves to love the Word of God? We do that through prayer and through practice, right? First of all, we have to pray for a love of the Word of God. It's not something that happens naturally within us, right? It's the Holy Spirit inside us, and so we have to ask God, please instill a love for your word in me. Please instill a desire to know you more, because that's not something that happens in me naturally. I don't just naturally, with no preparation, sit down in front of the Bible, and I'm just enthralled with what's happening. It has to be the Holy Spirit in me, working through me. Say, God, please give me a love for your word, and the next one is practice. We have to just practice getting into God's word. It's pretty simple. A lot of times, we don't get into the Bible because oh, I have to be somewhere in 10 minutes and it would take too long or I'm really tired and I wouldn't get anything out of it and it just is too much time. Man, we have got to stop thinking that reading a little bit of the Bible is a failure because that's not true. God is pleased with you when you get into his word. You don't have to read a chapter or a book every time. Get into his word and just practice getting good at at reading it, right? He speaks to you every time you get in his word. 
When God sees you in heaven, it's not going to be about how long you read your Bible for. It's going to be about did you seek him out in it? Did you take every opportunity to know him more through his word? Don't feel like you have to conquer it all in one day. Don't do that because that's a lie and uh, it's going to discourage you. So do what small part you can at that time. Last point, number three, is that you are not as good of a person as you think you are. Sorry, the happy feely part, time is over. You are not as good of a person as you think you are, and I am not as good of a person as I think I am. I love listening to Francis Chan, and he put out a message recently, and he said one of the biggest lies in evangelicalism is that you believe you're basically a good person, right? If somebody came up to you on the street and asked you what kind of person you are, you'd probably say, I'm a a fairly good person, right? And that's a lie. And we know that because we know that we're depraved. We know there's nothing good in us naturally. In fact, the only good thing about us right now is the fact that we have Christ Jesus inside us, right, redeeming us every day. That's the only attractive thing about us. And Romans 3 says this really bluntly and just almost too clearly. It says there's no one righteous No, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one person. Guys, that's talking about us, right? We've got to realize that that is the truth. And I think when you have a really healthy understanding of this, of where I'm at without Jesus, where I'm at without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, once you really get that, I think reading your Bible becomes a lot more important because you realize that you need it, right? It's not just something you do to feel good. It's something like, God, if I'm gonna follow you, I don't know how to do that on my own, and I need your help. And so let me just ask this question of you. You know, you make hundreds of decisions a day. Um, What guides those decisions that you make every day? Every little decision, what guides that? Because your flesh says, well, however I feel, or whatever mood I'm in today, right? But the truth is that we need the word of God inside us to guide those decisions. We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit in the reading of his word. And, and if you are making decisions consistently without the guidance of the word of God, without studying it, you're going you're gonna to end up places that you don't want to be. It's going to take you places that you never thought you'd be. So we need to study the word because we need it to be a decision maker in our lives. So those are my three points. We're going to get into a little bit more of like a class discussion thing here towards the end. Um, But before we do that, I want to talk about the role of the Bible in our lives, okay? In in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that the word of God is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, right? And that is all we're trying to let the Bible do to us when we read it at any given moment, right? We're trying to let it do those four things inside us. And I really like this visual, because it just, this is all we're trying to let the Bible do is, first of all, teach us the right way to go. You know, God, tell me what is right, first of all. And then inevitably, we fall short of that. We take, we take a turn off of it because we're sinful. And if we come back to the word of God, we see our sin and it rebukes us, right? We say, man, my life is not reflecting what I see in these pages. I need to stop this, right? And then it corrects us. It shows us the way back to God and then it trains us further. It says here is how you become more like Christ every day, right? These are the four things that we want the word of God to do in our lives. So think about uh, a piece of text you're gonna study, whether it's 
a chapter of the Bible, a book of the Bible, a verse or two of the Bible, which is what we're going to be going over today. And you think about, well, how am I going to study that? You know, it's, it's like a big, like, like piece of cake. Like, where's the first bite come from? How do I even get into this thing? A lot of food analogies come from the stage today, so that's, that's what you guys get with me. But like, how do we take our first bite? How do we even think about this? Well, there's an hourglass uh, illustration that I really like. So the first thing when you're, when you're getting ready to dive into a piece of God's word, read it through, right? If it's a verse, if it's a chapter, read it through and then ask yourself, just from one reading, what is the main point? What is going on here? What am I trying to get out of this piece of, of scripture here? And then number two is, is you're gonna go small, you're gonna get into the details and we're gonna do that as a group here. We're gonna really look at the text, we're gonna look at what words are used and ask a lot of questions about it, right? And then number three is that we're gonna end big, we're gonna zoom back out and say, in light of all my notes that I took, in light of all the little squiggles I did and questions I asked, do I still feel like the text has the same main point or do I need to revise that in some way, right? And by doing these three things, hopefully we study the word of God on a deeper level, hopefully we interact with it on a more intimate level where we're not just reading it, but we're wanting to know more about it, okay? So, um, this is where class time comes in. So we're gonna look at a little piece of text today, okay? Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, you can go there in your Bible or you can read it up here with me if you want to. Um, but we're gonna do this hourglass thing on this little piece of text today. It's not gonna be too terribly long, um, but I want us to have some group interaction and uh, you're gonna have a little homework assignment to do something on your own too, so this is kinda like the prep work for it. So Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, what's our first thing? Well, the hourglass says that we just read it, right? And see what we get out of it. So here we go. We'll read it and then we'll see um, what we think God is trying to tell us just right off the bat. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says this. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Okay. it's a lot of things theologically going on there, but basically, we're going to ask for a brave volunteer. Can someone just in a one sentence, just really simply tell us, what are we trying to say here? What's the, what's the main point? Nobody's feeling brave on a Sunday morning. Guys, I feel like I'm back in middle school Bible study. Hey, Judy Jones is brave in the back. Judy, what would you say is the main point here? Jesus is superior to what? Jesus is superior to all. Judy, the really good answers aren't supposed to come till later, so if you could have just missed the mark a little on that one. Jesus, and I'm going to write this down because we're going to come back to it. Jesus is superior to all. Very good. Okay, so we have our main point. So we have zoomed out. Judy has given us a really good starting point, so we're gonna zoom in now. And so this is kind of where it gets fun because you're gonna get a sheet at the end of this and it's gonna have little tools for you, little um, ways that you can interact with the text. It's gonna be exactly what we do here, so if you don't remember these, don't worry because you're gonna have something to take home uh, and do it yourself. But we're gonna just start asking questions and noticing little specific things 
about this text that hopefully is going to tell us even more about it. So the first thing that I want us to look at is repetition. Are there any key words? Now, I'm not talking about articles or words that don't have anything to do with the meaning of the verse, but any key words that are repeated here, and we'll be able to mark it on here. Spoke. Some sharp people in this service. Yes, spoke and spoke in, right? Right here? Perfect. Uh-oh. You guys can see this, right? Okay, good. Oh, great, Skylar's back in church. <laughs> All right, spoke, very good. What else, what else do we see? Somebody say through. Yes, he has spoken through, and then where else is through? Got it. Oh, I need to use a different color. Guys, I got all jacked up about this color coordination, so I'm going to just go through with it. Here we go. Yes. What else do we see? Okay, say those again. God. God is. God, his, and he. So references to God, right? I was going to make it purple, but we can't have God associated with purple, so we'll do this. God, let's see, references to God. So, son, he, right? Any others? His, where's the he? Right there? Did I get it? Is that it? Any more? References to God, the repeats there? That's good. Good. Okay. Any others? Anything else that's important? Ooh, yeah, now you're ahead of me. That's going to be important. Yes, but, but not yet. I would say one more that I saw. We've got to avoid purple, so what can we use? I would say whom is repeated, right? And we'll, we'll ask questions about maybe why that's important later, but both of those are referring to the Son, right? Both of those point back to Jesus, so maybe that's important. Okay, well done. I think we did repeats well. Okay, so let's move on to another one. Let's ask a different question. Oh, Nate, what have I done? Here we go. Okay, uh, we're going to look at verbs, okay? Any verb in this verse... We're going to ask two questions of it. First of all, is it active or passive? So hopefully there's some grammar teachers in this service. We're also going to ask what tense is it? Is it past? Oh, Michaela Carr. Is it, uh, is it, there you go, my editor right there. So what's the voice? Is it passive or active? We're also going to ask the tense. So is it past, present, or future? So we're going to point out every verb and ask two questions of it. And Michaela's going to sign off on everything. Okay, verbs. Spoke, very good. So we got spoke, this past, right? It's in the past. Is it active or passive? Active, very good. That sounded like a Forsyth back there. You've heard this before. All right, there's one. Any others? Has spoken, very good. He has spoken. He has spoken. Is this, where, what's the tense? What is it? Oh, present past. We're not even getting that far into it. 
Let's go to helping verb. Is it active or passive? What is it? Michaela? Oh, Michaela's like, I don't know. I didn't come to church for this. <laughs> I think it's active because he has, because God has done it, right? It wasn't done to God. God did it, right? So it's active. I, I think it is. I feel confident about going active there. I'll, if we get to heaven one day and I was wrong, I'll take the heat for that one, guys. But I think we're going to be okay. All right, what, what's another verb? Appointed. Appointed. Very good. Verb tense. Past and active. Very good. And lastly, made. You guys are so on the ball today. Past and active, right? So we can see, unless there's another verb that I'm missing, are we good? So what, what can we get out of this here? The verbs are obviously all in the past tense. So what we can learn is that everything happening in these verses happened in the past and it had a definite ending, right? These things are not still happening today. They had a definite beginning and ending point that was in the past. And we know that God did all these things. None of them were done to God, right? Yes. Okay, verbs, good. Man, you guys are crushing this. Okay, next one. No, get out of here. There we go. Next one, the next thing we're going to do, and once again, these are all going to be on a sheet for you guys, and so you're going to not have to remember these. Um, we're going to look for words of contrast. Okay, words of contrast. These are like, but, yet, therefore. Um, so do we have any contrasting words? Because those are really important in Scripture. Very good. Uh-oh. Nate, the devil's trying to get into my PowerPoint. I lost power. Looking for visuals comp. It's all right. You're not going to win this one, Satan. We'll just do it normal. Here we go. So but is our contrasting word. Very good. So what that tells us is that there are two different ideas that are being juxtaposed, being contrasted here, right? So what we're going to see is the first part of the verse. Everything that comes before the word but is saying one thing, and everything after that is going is to like almost be a mirror image right, and say a, a, an adverse thing, right? Oh, I'm back. Here we go. Yes. Okay, so here's our word right here. So here's our contrasting word. So what I want us to do is to look before the conjunction, the word but, and find a phrase and then maybe a phrase on the other side of it that it coincides with. Does that make sense? Yena was really on the right track with that. So maybe if we get a few, it'll start to, it'll start to make sense. But do you guys, somebody take a stab at one and we'll... God, I'm hearing God spoke, okay. So God spoke, so what is it, what is on the other side of that conjunction that it, so he spoke, but now he has spoken, right? So God spoke to ancestors, but now he has spoken by his son, right? So those two match up, okay, good. What else? In the past, man, some child over here is just really smart. In the past, what does that match up with on the other side? You guys are on. Listen, now your mom's just feeding you answers, Gracie. <laughs> Good, in the past, in these last days. So in the past, 
Last day is good. There's a good contrast there. What else do we see? Okay, I heard two are ancestors, and then what does that contrast with? Man, you guys are so smart. To us, right? He spoke to our ancestors, but now he's speaking to us. What else? Through the prophets. Okay, what does that go with? Now he spoke by his son. You guys are just all over this. By his son, yes. This is going to get ugly here in a little bit, but it's all right. What else? Gracie, any thoughts? No, okay. There's a few more. Very good. In various ways, pairs up with? I would say by his son, right? Because it was one time. So that goes with by his son as well. I would also say, Mel, just like you said various ways, many times, right? Many times also contrasts with, with Jesus because it was a one-time thing, right? Very good. I think that's all I have in my notes. Does anybody see any others? I think we did pretty good. So we can see, like this is what's cool about doing this is because you start to see Little things that the author intended that on one read-through you don't pick up, right? But the author definitely intended for us to read the verse this way, to see that in the past he spoke to our ancestors, but now he has spoken to us by Christ. And, and he did it many times and in various ways, but, but Christ is the final way that he did it, just one time, right? Man, there's so much good stuff when you choose to read it this way. This is cool. Okay, contrast, very good. We are running out of time, so we will go quickly. Um, one other thing I like to do is I like to look for, uh-oh, uh, okay, now we're back. I like to look for just kind of weird things that I see grammatically about a text, right? Um, and you kind of have to put on your grammar helmet for this one and think like sentence structure and things like that, but in school we learned a lot of grammatical terms, and one of those was prepositional phrases, right? And as I read this verse so many times over these last couple weeks, I just noticed that this verse is wrought with prepositional phrases. So can we just point out all the prepositional phrases? In the past. What else? Somebody be bold. There you go. To our ancestors. Through the prophets. At many times. In various ways. In the last days to us, right, by his, there you go, Gracie, now you're back. <laughs> what else? Whom he appointed heir, of all things, through whom he also made, I think through whom, yeah, he also made the universe. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I can't tell you what this means. I just know that I noticed it, okay? But that's part of the beauty of what we're doing is that we don't have to have all the answers. We're just noticing everything we can about the text, and then we ask Garen hard questions next week. That's basically what we do. So he's got to bring his A-game. So that was just something that I noticed. So whenever you are reading a text, just look for unique things, right? This is something I noticed. Maybe you noticed something different. Okay, we're getting towards the end here. We're almost done. Um, one of the last things is key ideas, okay? On your paper, it's going to ask you to put a star by 
what you think the key idea in the verse is, okay? So if you were to look at this verse, if there was one part of it or one word or phrase that was the key idea, what would you say it is? Mel, you are on fire today. Way to represent Ghana, my brother. Here we go. Spoken to us. He has spoken to us by his son. I think that's spot on because everything before this, everything before this is describing this one sentence, right? And everything after it is describing Christ, which is the point of this, which is the son, right? So everything is pointing to this one phrase right here. Right? But we wouldn't have gotten there if we didn't take it apart and realize the contrast and realize what everything was trying to say to us here. But that's excellent. So that is what I would say, and I, I think hopefully you would say maybe there's another one, but, but I would say this is the key point with a lot of confidence. That's very good. So you can now read this text and say this was what the author was trying to say. This is the main point. Okay, last part here is um, questions. Okay? What questions has studying this text brought up in you, right? What do you see this text and you now want to ask? And once again, we don't have to answer them. We can give them to Garen. So ask anything. It's not, it's not a big deal. Any questions about the text? What? Right, what did he speak? We know that he did, and we know who he did it through and to, but, but what did God speak? That's a great question. What else? Yeah, why did he change? Why not just keep speaking through the prophets? There's a lot there. That's great. Right, what does last days mean? That's a very ominous phrase. Are we in the last days? Have the last days already passed? Like, what is going on? What are the last days? These are great questions. So you can see that these are questions you ask when you study the text, right? When you really get in and try and understand it. So now the very last thing we're gonna do is Judy started us off with such a spot-on uh, summarization of this verse. But I want us to go back. Judy said that Jesus is superior to all. Can we change that in any way to better represent what this verse is saying? Sorry? I couldn't hear you, sorry. He's the ultimate translator. Yes. Anything else? What else could we add to this? That's great. I like that. The word of God is through his son. Yes, ultimately it's through Jesus. Yes. Anything else? Sorry, who said that? God, oh, from the back row, let's go. God has always communicated with us, right? That's excellent. So I'm sure there's more we could pull out, but you can see how really digging in and studying the text, it's not just cracking open a book and getting in your five minutes before bed. It's so much more than that. It's life-changing. It, it shows you what the author is really trying to tell you. It's so cool. So I hope that what we've done today is we've shown you the need to study the Word of God, right? That we need it in our lives. It's not just something we do because we're supposed to do it. It's something we need. And I hope we've given you a few just really simple tools to do this on your own and try it out. And if you get frustrated and can't do it, that's okay. Uh, the first time we all try this, it's tough. So keep trying it, keep doing it. What we're actually going to do is we're going to dismiss um, after I pray.
and we're going to have ushers at the back. We're going to give you a piece of paper. It's going to have a different verse for you to try this on. It's going to have all the steps written out, so it's going to be really simple. Garen is going to um, pick them up next week. No partial credit after next week. <laughs> so, okay. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll leave. You guys want to stand with me as we pray, and, and we'll be on our way. Make sure you grab one of these papers, too, because if you don't have one next week, you'll fail. I don't know. Yes. And bring it back next week. Yes, bring it back. Don't leave it at home. All right, let me pray for us as we leave. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the word of God and that you have given it to us and that it, it informs us, God. It teaches us. It trains us. It shows us how to be more like you. I pray that you would give us a love for reading your word. I pray that you would help us to dig into it with excitement and not just let it be this drudgery, God, because that's not what you intended. Lord, thank you so much for today. I pray that it's a day of rest for us. I pray that we walk out of here ready to know you more. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.